Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to Coffee with Craig, where we talk about all things firearms, firearms policy, politics, culture, media, you name it. We're talking about it right here on Coffee with Craig. So please take a moment, like and share this program so that your friends can join us. Whether you're, whether you're watching us on Facebook or on YouTube, please make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel as well as hit the notification button. Same thing on Facebook. Follow us on Facebook, hit the notification button so that you can get notifications as soon as this program goes live. Also, you can listen to us if you just want to listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, you name it. Tons of different opportunities where you can listen to us as well. So please remember, uh, listen in and tell your friends. Also, fpcgear.com, fpcgear.com. It's a great place to go and buy pro Second Amendment gear. I realize it's after Christmas. So in case you didn't get what you wanted, you didn't get something you wanted, this is the place where you can go and get that pro to a t-shirt, hoodie, or coffee mug. And know that every dollar that you spend will go right back into the fight for our right to keep and bear arms. So you can support the Second Amendment, and you can look good doing it. That's fpcgear.com. All right, let's get into today's topic. Now, last week, I gave you a breaking news alert about one of the lawsuits uh, that, we have, that we have filed uh, here in the state of California. Now, this is, uh, this is a, piece of, uh, a, a piece of litigation that could have national impact. And, and to talk a little bit about the Linton case, uh, we have a, a good friend of the program, but uh, not only that, uh, a, a fantastic attorney working with the Firearms Policy Coalition, Firearms Policy Foundation, and the Calguns Foundation. We have Mr. George Lee. Mr. Lee, how are we doing today? Excellent, excellent. It might be good if I actually made sure that you were included in the actual thingy. There you go. Now I got you. <laughs> All right. All right. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit. Tell us a little bit about this case. Sure. This is a really pretty interesting case. It's a situation where now we know just to set the background, we know that most states and the and the, and the federal law prohibits persons convicted of a felony from owning or possessing firearms. But what happens when the, the court of the state that they were convicted in um, vacates the felony and dismisses the case basically? And, and not only that, goes the extra step of restoring to that person their right to own firearms. Does that apply across state lines? And what happens when a state like California decides we're not gonna honor that? Um, it doesn't matter what the court in another state says, you don't get to own firearms because we just don't think you should. And this is actually a situation that arises more frequently than you would think. Um, and we represent two of the individuals along with the organizations you mentioned to try to do something about it. And it's a case called Linton versus Attorney General Becerra that we filed uh, in in district court in San Francisco uh, last week. Mm. Okay, so give me give me uh, one of the one of the cases in particular is really kind of interesting, and that's the Linton case. Uh, give folks some of the particulars behind this one, because when I talked about it, uh, when I talked about it last week, some people just the only reason, quite frankly, they believed it well was because it was California. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 
California defies uh, our unbelievability uh, sometimes. But even for California, this seems like a pretty hard-nosed attitude for the Attorney General to take. But basically, you know, the lead plaintiff in this case, Mr. Linton, he was in, he's, he's a resident of California for 30 years, but he was in the Navy in the 1980s and when, as an enlisted person, and he made a mistake. He um, uh, engaged in a little rabble rousing with, with some of his crewmates as uh, enlisted people are sometimes known to do and um, was people, trying to make it back People his. in the military rabble rouse? Really? <laughs> you know, I don't know. I've just heard. I've heard <laughs> I've just heard. It's, it all could be rumors. <laughs> but so, you know, he was he he was trying to get back to his base um, on a motorcycle. He was going at a high rate of speed and he, um, and you know, a, a Washington state trooper uh, spotted him uh, going the other way and made the U-turn. And I think we've all been there uh, where we look in our rearview mirror and we see if the, the state trooper is actually going to follow us, and he was going, and he was tr- going to try to catch up with him. So, um, so our client made a mistake. He thought maybe he could make it back to base before the state trooper could catch up to him, and he miscalculated, and and it was a it was a lapse in judgment. He recognized that, and he pulled over um, after you know after a little bit of time, he pulled over. And so uh, didn't offer any resistance to the arrest, uh, pled guilty to the, the charge uh, of evading. Um, and uh, in the state of Washington, the attempt of a, uh, attempting the, the crime of attempting to evade a police officer is a felony, uh, chargeable as a felony in the state of Washington. So in, 19, in the 1980s, he was convicted of this, of this crime, pled guilty was sentenced to the seven days that he spent in jail on this um, and some uh, community service and probation and moved on with his life. He moved back to California, has uh, lived a, a, a decent and honorable life here. He's raised a family. Um, so, you know, he's a good guy. Um, and he made a mistake when he was in the service in, in, uh, in the 1980s. So. So now he's prohibited, uh, and he didn't realize this because he thought that the case had been uh, that once he completed the terms of his probation, that um, that the, the case would be dismissed. Um, and uh, he tries to buy a firearm, um, and lo and behold, he's told he's he is uh, prohibited. But he go, he undergoes the, the the eligibility check with the California Department of Justice first, and. They don't show any records that show his that he was prohibited. So he undergoes a live scan uh, fingerprint check, um, also uh, which triggers a FBI search of his records, and it shows undetermined. It actually the Washington State conviction from 1987 doesn't show up as either a felony or a misdemeanor. So he thinks he's there's no reason why he shouldn't be able to own a firearm, but just out of an abundance of caution. He actually goes to Washington State. He hires a lawyer, and they get the uh, felony conviction vacated. The judge specifically uh, dismisses it, or vacates vacates the felony conviction, and then, in a separate order, specifically restores to him his right to own a firearm. Says he is his civil rights are fully restored to him. Uh, this was a nonviolent uh, felony. 
the sentence that was imposed was uh, not uh, not didn't involve any type of state prison time, and so there was no reason to deny him for the rest of his life uh, the ability to own a firearm under these circumstances. So he thought, and I think a lot of people would think that once that happens, it's sort of an automatic deal that the state of California should honor uh, what another court says about overturning the, uh, the felony conviction and um, and restoring your firearm rights to you. But alas, it, you know, this is California, so. So now, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, I read it now, up until 2015, had he, he had purchased firearms up until 2015 when it came back that he was now prohibited, right? Right, because uh, he there was, he had no reason to believe he was prohibited. He had passed multiple background checks in other contacts in, contacts in terms of licensing, uh, getting an ABC license, um, FBI background check, new checks, numerous live scans. Nothing ever showed up as a felony conviction. I mean, in fact, he had had a, um, a antique shotgun that his grandfather owned transferred to him. Um, and so there was no reason for him to believe that he was a prohibited person. So he was shocked, of course, when he goes to purchase a 22, um, you know, of all things, just a 22 uh, pistol. And he is denied uh, by the DOJ on that. But see, he does the right thing in the in this circumstance. He goes to Washington State to try to clear it up. He gets it cleared up. He gets his firearms rights restored to him, and you would think that that would be the end of the story, right? And but but not only did they prohibit him from being able to own firearms, they went a step further, didn't they? Well, yeah, they actually sent uh, armed uh, DOJ agents uh, operating pr presumably under the Armed Prohibited Person Systems Program um, to come to his house and take away all the firearms that they realized that he had had, including his grandfather's antique shotgun, um, because, you know, because they thought he was prohibited. And in fact, at the scene, you know, they show up to his house and he's not even home. His wife is home and she's showing the agents the orders, the court orders from uh, the state of Washington saying, here's his, here's the, vac the vacation of the uh, felony conviction. Here's the court order restoring him his firearms rights but and I and I honestly to, to be candid I think the DOJ agents were caught in a bind and and were pretty sympathetic to him and they sought um, some upper approval to see if they can give him his guns back but uh, and, and they called the uh, deputy attorney general who was handling the case and he said no he's prohibited as far as we are concerned in the state of California and the Washington court order doesn't really mean anything as far as we're concerned. And, th and that's probably the reason why that deputy attorney general is actually specifically named in the lawsuit, right? Correct. I mean, he made a decision to, and it's, and it's based on the policies of, uh, you know, attorney general Becerra on down that we're not giving anyone guns if we don't have to. And, and I'm sure that that's where the uh, policy stems from. Um, but he, so he made a decision, he made a call and it's the wrong call. Uh, and and it, Mr. Linton's attorneys, um, who he had retained to specifically deal with the, the uh, Department of Justice on the issue, had a, had numerous letters and conversations with this Deputy Attorney General, 
And uh, the attorney general said, um, told him basically he's out of luck. We don't really recognize out of state court orders. Uh, and your only recourse is a presidential pardon. A presidential pardon. So to sum the story up, an individual who was who pled guilty to a nonviolent wobbler. Correct. Over 30 years ago. It was supposed to have been converted into a misdemeanor. It never was. Moved to California, has been, you know, owning firearms the entire time that he was here. Uh, decided to buy a firearm, was denied, found out why, went and made sure everything was all cleared up. Then came back and tried again, did an eligibility check. They told him, oh, yeah, no, you're cool to, you're cool to own guns. Went to buy a gun. They told him, nope, you can't. And then on top of that, they send DOJ agents over to his house to confiscate the guns that he does have. And it, then they say, yeah, no, the, the, the DOJ agents, uh, hey, boss, um, he's good to buy guns, I'm pretty sure. The boss says, nope, take his stuff. That's pretty much how it went down. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's pretty insane. But uh, and it's kind of one of these only in California type of deals that, uh, you know, I think everyone recognized that Mr. Linton's a good guy. He he made a mistake when he was in the service, but he served his country. Um, he's lived a, a decent life. He's a good neighbor, a father, a husband. Um, right. Not someone that uh, should be prohibited from owning firearms. But, you know, the DOJ. Uh, the California DOJ has its own views on whether people should own firearms. So here we are. Now, Paul McKinley Stewart, the other plaintiff, he's in a similar situation. But if I understand it, his was what, over 40 years ago? Yeah, well, he was. So when he, this was and this was a similar situation out of Arizona. Mm -hmm. um, and in 1976, he uh, when he was 18 years old, he made a mistake. He committed a burglary of uh of, of com out of a commercial yard and um, no question that he did it and he uh, was sentenced to probation uh, did it and uh, and is a similar situation when he found out he was a prohibited status he went back to Arizona filed a, a, a motion to have the, the felony conviction set aside the court agreed and specifically restored his his civil rights to him including his right to own a firearm and you think that would be automatic, but just like with Mr. Linton's case, uh, the state of California isn't going to recognize that, and um, and basically is just going to deny you the right to purchase or own a firearm for the rest of your life because of a mistake that you made uh, when you're 18 years old in another state, even though the other state recognizes that it wasn't serious enough to prohibit him for the rest of his life. Okay. Now, why is this? Why is this case so important? Because I know some folks are saying, well, hey, they did a crime, yada, yada, yada. But I mean, why? Is, I, I know why it's so important, but explain our explain our audience. Why is why is this case uh, so vitally important? Sure. Well, I mean, obviously, the, the, the overarching Second Amendment question is, can you just deny somebody the right to own firearms for the rest of their life uh, because of mistakes that they made when they were young in their, you know, in their teens and 20s? Um, uh, for, for nonviolent things, offenses that occurred 30, 40 years ago. So, I mean, that's the Second Amendment question. But why the case is important? I mean, first of all, as you know, Craig, we 
or FBC tries to help out as many individual gun owners in situations like this when we can. And, you know, there's far more situations than we can throw resources to, and we wish we could help them all. But when we can help out people in these situations, we do. And, um, and this is a, a really good case, I think, to where we can really help out not just these two individuals, but other people who are in, the, in a similar situation or people who gun owners who want to move to California, um, but, but have uh, the similar um, court orders from other states. You know, we want to be able to help them recognize it um, or have the state recognize that, that that's legitimate and that it just can't be ignored. Well, I, I think, think that, I'm sorry, I was going to say that I think that's really important because think about it. If you live in another state and you you go through this process, you've been a solid citizen for 30, 40 years and you and you've had that uh, a conviction over either overturned or were set aside or something like that. And then you move to California. You're a prohibited person. You could be a prohibited person in California, and, and unbeknownst to you, have an armed armed police show up to your house to to take away your firearms. Exactly. I don't think it would even dawn on someone to um, that they're that they're breaking the law if the court orders from the other state restored to them their right to own a firearm, and then they you know you get a job offer in California. So of course they're going to move to California with those guns. It's just inconceivable that the state would think that that person shouldn't own guns, um, but here we are. So yeah, it it, it 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 impedes people's right to to travel too under under such circumstances. So now offline, we were talking about really kind of the area of law that applies to this has to do with uh, full faith and credit. Uh, explain explain you know once just a little bit. You kind of explained it a little bit, but how that kind of works, and then what are some examples in law where, other than firearms, where uh, where this is this has been important? Well, right. I, the, I mean, and this is an interesting case because it's not just a Second Amendment case. It brings in other aspects of the Constitution, the Full Faith and Credit Clause, which states that a, that a state is is honored honor bound to honor the the judgments of other. Um, state courts. It can't just ignore, pick and choose what uh, judgments it just it likes and which ones it doesn't. Part of the deal of being a state within the United States is that you need to live by this clause. Uh, you don't get to pick and choose what policies you, you like and which policies you don't like. Um, so that's the full faith and credit clause. Um, there's also the privileges and immunities clause, which states that a, a state can't discriminate against citizens from other states. Um, and the theory here is that, well, California does actually have a procedure or process where you can get your firearms rights restored to you, as you might know. Um, you, you can get a felony, a nonviolent felony conviction reduced to a misdemeanor and then dismissed, and then you can get your firearms rights restored to you for a California conviction. But if you're saying that you can do that for a California resident arising out of California conviction, but that we're not going to honor the same process from people moving from other states like Arizona or Washington. Well, that discriminates against them because those people don't have any way to get their firearms rights back except by presidential pardon, at least according to the deputy attorney general. So, you know, there's a lot of interesting um, issues beyond the Second Amendment issues, a lot of interesting constitutional issues if you're, a, you know, a con law geek. But um, 
but you know the the more overarching important question as to why why we're interested in the case is not just to help out these guys individually but i think we're trying to roll back this whole idea that gun ownership is a privilege that the state can just hand out to whoever it wants um and you know at its own whim or discretion or you know because a deputy attorney general somewhere sitting in sacramento says so nobody under these circumstances can own a firearm um, and we need to start making the state recognize that this is a right and not only is it a right it's a right that has been restored to these people by other courts and other states and if it's a right that's been restored to them in in other courts in other states you can't just ignore it just because you don't like firearms and you, and more importantly and let's be blunt because you don't like the people the type of people who own firearms that's really what it's about <laughs> so so this is a case that's that's interesting on a number of levels if you're a constitution lover or uh, you know you like the nuances of constitutional law if you're interested in the second amendment and if you're interested in trying to roll back this whole mentality that we get to decide who owns guns um you know you average citizen uh don't so it's important for all of those reasons. Excellent. Excellent. How can folks follow the case? Well, I think, and you can tell them uh, specifically how to get there, but mm -hmm. there is a, uh, a link on the Firearms Policy Coalition site uh, that attracts the case called uh, Linton versus Becerra. And then, of course, if if uh, anyone is in a similar situation and that, that is specific to having had a... Um, felony conviction overturned or vacated in another state and having their firearms rights restored to them by that other state um, and wants to purchase a firearm or uh, has been denied the right to purchase a firearm by the state of California, they should definitely get in touch with FPC through the legal action um, hotline. Exactly. The well, if you look in the description of this video, you'll see the you'll see the the legal action hotline information, uh, as well as there'll be a link to the to the lawsuit or to the to press release and then to the lawsuit, so that you can kind of read about read about it, which is a lot of stuff we just talked about, but also read the actual lawsuit and get information and get connected. Uh, George, thank you so much. Thank you for all that you do. Uh, you know. You, you, you guys do, you, you attorneys, you guys do a lot of the heavy lifting, and we very much appreciate all the work that you guys do. Well, thank you. It's my pleasure, Craig, and uh, happy holidays. Happy holidays and Merry Christmas and Happy New Year's to you, sir. You take care. Okay, you do. All right. All right, everybody. That was George Lee. Uh, once again, fantastic interview, interesting topic. You guys know these things are so important. So please make sure, follow the links in the description, get involved, get engaged with the Firearms Policy Coalition. Please remember to like and share this program. Let your friends know the Firearms Policy Coalition. We are the home in the fight for civil rights. Got to use them or you're going to lose them. You guys take care. <laughs>